Mortimer's death was a great sorrow to us. To lose the vessel of his soul will bring his clan's fury upon you. I can go for some bangers and mash. Where is the body? The fate of the station lies with a missing alien corpse. Are you threatening to make war over this? That is how the last one started. On all you Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. out there in podcast land welcome to grade 17 a babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we are a group of newbies and first ones who have either watched the show all the way through or are watching for the first time and we are nearly done with season one we are looking at legacies which for us is episode 21 of 22. So first off, we will have our newbies talk about the episode spoiler-free, not talking about what happens next or anytime else in the show. And then we will jettison them out the airlock and talk about any questions or predictions that they had with those of us who have already watched the entire show. I'm Scott, and with me, as always, is... I'm Molly. Jesse. John. Mike. Nicole. Evan. Blake. Justin and Andrew before we get going guys uh, we are getting some new reviews into Apple so thank you everyone who's leaving their reviews it really does help the show grow and get out to new people so I wanted to read a review that came into us from Apple Podcasts, and that is from fine dining podcast I'm assuming they're their own podcast so fine dining podcast gray 17 places the audience in the great machine you guys make the audience feel like drawl in the great machine the combination of fresh and experienced perspectives with the smattering of B5 special guests provide an all-encompassing experience perfect for any B5 devotee, new or old. I would love to hear Jason Carter as a guest once you guys get into season three. Well, Jason Carter is going to join the show, guys. <laughs> Thanks for the spoiler, fine dining. I don't know who it is. Yeah, it tells me nothing. It's fine. <laughs> I won't spoil anything because I'm good at that. So again, please make sure that you like, subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that notify button because we do do live events as well too. And be sure that you go ahead and leave a review for us if you can. We really appreciate those reviews. It does help us grow. Along with that, we do have a Patreon. If you can go one step further, that is patreon.com slash gray17podcast. The link is in the descriptions below. Also, we do sell some merch as well through Redbubble. You can find the link for that down below as well if you want to help the show grow in that way. Come join us on Facebook. We got a great discussion going about our ongoing shows and uh, our other uh, other happenings. So please come check us out. And on Twitter, I'm trying not to get blocked by JMS. That's the goal. Apparently, he does that a lot. And join us on Patreon where you can enjoy additional benefits such as being a producer of the show, our show notes, which are wildly entertaining from host to host, and drop us a line in a Q&A. You'll also have an opportunity to join our Discord server that is run by me. And yeah, you'll just get an opportunity to just chat amongst us and other uh, patrons who are on the server. We are currently talking about old movies people should watch. At least we were a few days ago. And getting pictures of Sean's delicious meals that he makes. He is Irish, so there's definitely some delicious meals going on. I could go for some bangers and mash. 
Why is that funny? It's a good dish. That should be the stinger to the episode. Like, yes. Just no context. I can go some for beggars and that right now. Yes. All right. I gotta get a laugh out of everybody. Mike's having screwdrivers over there. <laughs> Before we get going with first impressions, Jesse, I believe you have a synopsis for us. A Mimbari warrior's body disappears while lying in state on the Babylon 5 station. Several threats are made by the Mimbari to start another war over the missing body. A young telepath with newfound abilities helps solve the case, leading to Daylin being found responsible for retrieving the Mimbari warrior's body to fulfill the warrior's spiritual wishes. Let's go ahead and go into our first impressions from our newbies, and we'll go to Andrew first. First impressions on Legacies. Yeah, so this was a really good episode. I really liked uh, kind of seeing Delenn uh, not really like turn on the Mimbari, but kind of going like like on her own uh, agenda like with her own cast like fulfilling his wishes the dead Mimbari's wishes uh against what the warrior cast wanted to do it was also kind of interesting seeing the dynamic between talia and ivanova in that b plot uh with that uh i guess you could call it a rogue telepath who doesn't know she's a telepath uh it was interesting seeing the that kind of back and forth between ivanova and talia with like what should, what should be done with her while also trying to keep her safe. Let's go to Justin next. First impressions. I mean, for me, the episode was okay. I, I like the A plot with with uh, um, Naroon, I think is his name, right? Um, the captain from the uh, Minbari cruiser. I liked his character. I thought he was pretty interesting. I liked the kind of diving a little bit deeper into Minbari culture. I thought it was pretty nice. Um, kind of seeing how they like to do um funeral services and stuff like that and so that kind of really caught my attention but the b plot with Alyssa, i think was her name uh the telepath girl to me it felt the whole plot kind of felt pretty pointless up until the end i mean i don't get me wrong i did like seeing ivanova and talia like usual but i didn't really care for i guess maybe the actress who played her um i really thought she was just really distracting and then just it all made sense kind of at the end, but for most of the episode, I was just kind of really just annoyed with that whole plot line. But that's all I kind of have on that. Our buddy from Yum Yum Podcast, Ryan, kind of said the same thing you did. He said, an episode held together and ripped apart by the guest stars. <laughs> As in, John Vickery's oh. really good, and Grace Una, eee. Said it a lot better than I did. Let's go to Nicole. First impressions. So I'm the complete opposite. <laughs> First of all, I thought Naroon was a dick. I did not like him. But... I actually liked the B plot in the show, this episode a little bit better than I did the A plot. I mean, it was interesting to get a little more history on the Membari and how they do things, but I just thought the whole pissing contest was a little annoying to me. Uh, well, we're going to blow you up if you don't do this or you don't find the body. And like, he just kept making all these threats. And then when he jumps in Claire and like trashed his room, like, I just was like, all right, dude, take, take a seat. You know what I mean? Like, I just didn't like him. I didn't like his energy. I thought it was, you know, he was trying to assert dominance and I just felt like it was a giant pissing match. That aside, I know there was a lot of history and there was a lot of interesting information I did enjoy about the Mumbari, which was cool to learn. But I personally liked the B-plot better. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed um, Eliza, I think her name was. Um, I thought that it was really cool to see how she kind of accidentally kept reading everyone. Like she accidentally read Ivanova when she saw into Natoth's brain and, and like saw the darkness and coldness. It kind of really it gave a little insight on to, 
uh, to each person that she accidentally read, uh, gave a little more insight to the Narn, uh, gave a little bit more insight to um, everyone she interacted with. And she straight up caught Dylan being shady. Shady, I know that it was like, oh yeah, it's what he wanted. It was his wishes. And I did like at the end how uh, um, Dylan was like, telling that dude, this is what you're going to do. And this is how it is. I like said she asserted dominance in that moment and like told him how it was and gave him orders. I liked that because she put him in his place. But I thought from the beginning that Dylan was a little shady. And here we finally saw her be shady. If you want to be on that island all by yourself, thinking the B plot was better than the A plot, you do you, Nicole. I will. I'll die on that hill. I'll die on it. John, what do you got? First impressions. Oh, man. I don't know how I can follow that. So let's get the negative right out of the way. Lando, not in this episode again, so it can't be an all-time. Having said that, the pure sexual tension between Ivanova and Talia makes this very close to a top fiver. Also, I like this episode a lot because uh, it was a, a huge info dump. We learned a ton of shit about Nambaris, about like a lot of different things. So some more Psychor stuff, some more Telepath stuff. So I really, really like that. Um, to your point, I think you mentioned last week, you know, you get answers and we start getting answers, right? So we learned what started the war. We learned, you know, how it ended because I wrote my notes about the two factions and the Nambaris, like, you know, how did they actually decide to end this and we, we learned some of that info um we, we learned a lot of stuff which i really like i do agree with nicole i definitely wrote down to len being shady um yet again i am super pumped to hear emily's thoughts on this episode we've gotten a lot of the len recently a lot of membari so uh pumped to hear what's going on there i did like the episode uh, and as far as the a plot b plot um i didn't enjoy the b plot i will agree with the actress wasn't great but i enjoyed the info we got out of it because it gave me some stuff and it really when we get to the questions part i have a lot of questions now about telepaths um and and i'll, I'll say that for that um and then the a plot um was great again gave me a lot of info but then also left me with a lot of questions this is this is if these were the type of episodes that were in the beginning of the season this is what i like you get you get a bunch of info and you still have a bunch of answers. So you want to watch the next week. Like this was one of the first times where I was like, man, I really want to watch this next episode. And they really set it up at the very end. So if we get more episodes like this in the future seasons, I mean, I might have to buy all the figurines and be Scott. I don't know. So still working on my collection. It's going to be a while, but if you like the getting answers to your questions and why and watch that next episode, wait until season two, sir. Just wait. Jesse first impressions. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was a good episode. I really enjoyed that the A plot um, interacted with the B plot and they had something to do with the other, each other. I enjoyed hearing a little bit more about the battle line. Um, I enjoyed um, Sinclair's maturity in this episode. He definitely showed that he was the bigger person because I'm not 100% sure I'd let somebody shoot at me and then turn around and vouch for them. Um, and I also enjoyed Dylan and her kind of pulling rank at the end where she was like, this is not how it's going to go. You could tell the look on her face, what she was pleased with herself when he was like, yes, you know, I'll, I'll do what you ask. And she just kind of had this smirk on her face and I enjoyed that part. But overall, I thought it was a good, that was a good episode. I didn't hate it. That needs to go on a shirt too. I didn't hate it. Jesse. <laughs> Emily, first impressions. I really liked this episode. And when we first saw Naroon, when he came on, I was like, oh, and the wanker of this episode is... Mm -hmm. And it's him. Um, and I actually thought he was the one who hid the body because I thought he did intentionally to start some shit because he seems mm -hmm. like that kind of person. So for it to turn out that was actually Delyn because she was being all sneaky, 
was kind of surprising. I was confused though, because um, I'm on, like, I have the DVD set, so this episode comes before A Voice in the Wilderness. So she's telling Narun that she's in the Grey Council. So seeing this after that episode, I was like, okay, so when this originally aired, would she have been like calling his bluff on that because he wouldn't know she had left the council? Or is she not technically out out yet? I I was curious about that part. We'll go over to our first ones next, and we'll go to Kevin. First impressions. This is one of the, those episodes where, <clears throat> because I watched it a couple of times now, I'm talking myself out of liking it as much as I did initially, because I feel like the A-plot has some problems, which I'll, I'll get into more. But uh, overall, I, I do think it's a good episode. I don't have a lot to say about the B-plot. I, I, thought, it, I thought the B-plot was good. I like the world building in this episode. There's a lot of information, like has been said, but I think there's kind of a, a flaw in the plot, but maybe someone will talk me out of having a problem with it. Mike? Uh, yeah, overall, I thought this was an okay episode. Um, I liked a lot of the world building, like the others have mentioned. I thought kind of overall, it doesn't do a whole lot to advance the narrative of the season, I didn't feel. And there's also something that I'll say is like, I view it as a trope uh, that kind of bugs the crap out of me a little bit. I had a hard time getting over it after the beginning of the episode. Uh, related to the whole Mibari ship coming in with its gun ports open and then almost getting into a firefight straight out of the gate. We can talk more about that later. But yeah, and the B-plot, you know, I, again, it's some world building, but um, I felt like it portrayed the Narn in a not very pretty light necessarily, although maybe that speaks more to the Toth than Narn as a whole. But yeah, so I mean, overall, again, nice nice world building. I thought for the most part, the, the acting and everything was pretty good. Uh, the character work was pretty good. Just kind of a, you know, plot-wise, so-so episode. It's, it's no TKO. Like... So this episode is, I mean, it's all right. I, I like the A plot a lot better. The B plot for me in this one really didn't do much of anything um, except establish a bit more of a connection with Talia and Ivanova. But, you know, I did not care for the actress that played Alyssa Belden. Um, I just did not care for that portrayal at all. I think that could have been better done, perhaps, especially with such a stronger guest star uh, with Naroon in the A-plot. And just overall, I think a very solid episode as far as world building on the Membari side of things. But I didn't really get anything out of the B-plot at all that contributed much other than just a convenient means to resolve the A-plot. Right. Yeah, the uh, the actor in question is Grace Una, and she has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine credits to her name, all of which ended on in 2000. She had a bit part in Gone in 60 Seconds, and when I say bit, I don't even know who she was in Gone in 60 Seconds. But yeah, I agree with you on that one. I will say my only first impression on this episode will always and continue to be John Vickery, John Vickery, John Vickery. I freaking love Nehrun with a passion and Nicole, we will fight. I think he's one of the best we've seen so far in terms of not really villains, but you know, anti-heroes to come to the station and his interactions with Sinclair, I really do love. And that final apology is, is a good scene, a very good scene. And it's actually juxtaposed to the last time Sinclair got an apology when that was from the, the captain in a uh, voice in the wilderness where Sinclair just hit the, off button as soon as he possibly could with this one Sinclair was actually understanding and taking it and a new kind of acceptance is between him and Nehru and I think John Vickery sold that really well and he also played Scar 
in the Broadway rendition of The Lion King. So he's pretty cool. All right, we'll go to Nicole. What do you got? I will say, I will agree with you that that end scene was really classy, the apology. It was really, that was really great. Um, I did enjoy that. Um, but I enjoyed seeing him put in his place a little bit more. That was even cooler. Um, so I would say for me, one thing I wanted to point out, a couple things were, um, first of all, Ivanova's hair looked great. She looked really pretty in this episode, unrelated to anything. But at the end, um, when Talia apologized to Ivanova and said that she hadn't been very kind to her and offered to buy her a drink, I was kind of like shipping that in my mind. I was like, yes, because I know we've talked about this before. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen there, but I really like their dynamic because I feel like as much as they have conflicts with each other, I also feel like they understand each other in a way. And I feel like they might mutually respect each other, at least, um, even though they don't agree on certain things. Um, it was really cool to see them interact a little bit more. And I will say the girl who played Elisa, or her voice was a little annoying. I just liked the whole plot line of like knowing a little bit more about because like when we or what we've learned about the side cores like you don't really have a lot of decisions or options I like the fact that she demanded to hear the options and like seeing kind of a little bit more into that of avenues that she can go down um so that's partially why I liked the plot better you know, I was actually intrigued to see how you guys would handle this episode now that Claudia Christian herself has spoiled for you that her character is bi. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, you guys were already assuming it way before you had that interview. But now that you know Ivanova is bi, I wonder if you're looking into this stuff even more than what you would have. I just feel like that was, we called that like episode one, right? You did. Like, you did. Um, the, the sexual tension there, whether it's for the show or... You know, it doesn't really matter. It's it's there, though. We absolutely discussed Ivanova's sexuality in a Beyond the Ren episode, and now we don't have to do that anymore, because you know. <laughs> Kevin. So my problem with the, the A-plot is <laughs> Delenn really sold the humans down the river and when she could have used her position, you know, and the threats to solve it without endangering, you know, the station, Sinclair's command, or the whole bit. I, I just... I mean, her her thinking that she was going to be able to sell the Star Riders on, oh, it, you know, his his body disappeared and, you know, it was magical and all that. It just didn't seem like it was ever going to go that way for my my interpretation of the episode. And it just feels like nothing was solved throughout the episode um it was kind of like uh you know what what scott's said a couple of times to to get at me about it was about tng about you know uh, like nothing changes and <laughs> something like that i'm why sorry. d space nine is the best star trek yes you're right <laughs> um but my my point is that you know if the if the episode had not gone on that way it was kind of you know useless because the end of it it could have ended that way and not had all the drama. So um, I, I just don't think that this episode is that tightly written. It feels like it was kind of unnecessary from a plot standpoint, other than it definitely had a lot of great information. And I, I will also join the chorus of uh, really enjoying the heck out of John Vickery's uh, portrayal of Naroon. He's, uh, he's a favorite of mine, too. Justin, you're next. To kind of hit off of Kevin's point, I think, she, did she not say at some point during the episode that the reason she couldn't just enact this guy's will was because he came from the warrior caste. His father was from the warrior caste. His mother was from the, what's the name of it? The religious caste. And 
because of the growing conflict between the two that she she felt that she would just cause problems among the Mimbari people if she just took his body and had it cremated. Um, so she had I think I think she felt like she had to come up with some kind of crazy story to explain it that maybe both sides would would accept. Now, whether or not it was the best story that she could possibly come up with, I don't know. I wasn't in the writing room that day. But I think I think she did try to explain why she did what she did at some point. I can't remember which order this one originally aired, but I know on HBO Max it comes after Babylon Square. Yes. And that's actually and, a thing. Yep. And and I think that, and that's a thing in this. Because keep in mind what happened with Babylon Squared when Delenn turned down becoming head of the Great Council, and they were none too pleased about that and kind of said, You go back to B5 and just let us ponder this for a while, you know. So you've you see Delenn taking actions and doing things in this episode, which maybe she didn't necessarily bother to have authority to do or could do without the backing of the Great Council because she wasn't exactly on their good side if this episode follows Babylon Square. Which it's supposed uh, to. Which yeah. it is supposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that was one of the goof-ups in other production orders, because they actually used the Triluminary in this episode that she got in Babylon yeah. Squared, and in some orders that's goofed up and she pulls out this device she's not supposed to have yet. So this is the one time where HBO Max is not screwed up. <laughs> yes. They fixed the problem. Yeah, JMS actually said the same thing. He said that uh, this is production order 15, so it was produced a little earlier on in the season. And like just Blake was mentioning, uh, JMS didn't want to have two Psychor episodes right back to back. So his intention was to play this after Babylon Squared. But in the original airing, they didn't do that because of, you know, reasons. So... But for us, it makes more sense. Mike, go ahead. Yeah, it's backing up, I guess, what Kevin said. I, I kind of thought it was fairly irresponsible of Delenn to pull the shenanigans on Babylon 5 based on, in her own words, that she thought she could convince Nerun that some space magic happened and that's why the body disappeared. I, and, and then I guess to kind of just piggyback off that same train of thought the, the other thing that really bothered me and and again this is the the trope that i mentioned earlier and i call it a trope because this is also essentially how star trek discovery starts um the fact that a minbari warship enters babylon 5 space with its guns out and i understand they're trying to portray that as like a cultural thing like oh they do that to show respect here are here's our weapons out for you to see i'm like nah dude if you're not like british colonial going to somewhere with your guns out like that's not how that works and i don't think any like advanced civilization would think that it's a good idea to approach new people with like knives in their hands and think that they're going to be okay with that (laughs) so the fact that they almost had an exchange of weapons like right off the bat with with a race that you even already know (laughs) is like the whole thing was just preposterous to me and that's a failure of Dylan. I mean, she could have easily just stepped in a lot earlier and said, hey, by the way, they're going to show up with their gun ports open. It's not a big thing. Just scan and it's fine. But yeah. that didn't happen. So it's just another reason why I feel like she really sold the humans down the ro- river in this episode. I, I will say, though, we're doing a lot to humanize Mimbari when we don't know their culture. You say it's one thing to come out with your knives in your hands. They're really not, though. Because what they would say is the gun ports are empty. So the whole point is showing them that, hey, we don't have weapons bearing down on you. But they humans don't know that. So, Well, and even thinking back to, I'm going to go back to another Star Trek reference here with Next Generation and Darmok. Beams down to the planet, knife in hand is a 
open sign. You know, so we've seen that before where there's cultural reasons for it. You know, Discovery was just crappy creatives. And Darmark will be in Babylon 5. Yes, he He's will. He's a really good actor. Yeah, I mean, I guess I get all that, but it still just seems to me like... <sighs> like a, a the Minbari have dealt with humans before so i can't believe that nobody knew that that was what was going to happen anyway <laughs> but take that aside i just have a hard time thinking that that an advanced civilization would would not consider how another race of people would react to that i guess john oh man so many things are said that i want to address <laughs> um let's start with a question uh, that doesn't have to be saved because it just came up. Since you mentioned the production order. So if this was production order 15, obviously this is episode 21, was Chrysalis, which they kind of preview, you know what I mean? That the stinger right there at the end, was that always meant to then be the follow-up episode or was it always meant to be the finale? And then I've got some thoughts. Chrysalis. Yeah. Chrysalis. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. Chrysalis. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, Chrysalis was always planned to be the season finale. Uh, one thing you'll, I mean, and again, this is really just season one, because after season one, it's not that big a deal. But JMS absolutely has his main story points mapped out. So he knows his first episodes, his last episodes, his middle episodes, like Science and Portents. It's the stuff in the middle that gets a little gray. But yeah, Chrysalis was always planned to be the last one. Okay. Uh, I mean, they did a good job leading into it. That's a good uh, penultimate episode. Um, okay, so a couple of things. So when, Kevin, when you mentioned the plot hole, I immediately also thought the same thing because I wrote down, so if she could always have this conversation, if she could always present this as she did, which to Blake's point, I also wrote down, I thought, hasn't she kind of lost her ability to do some of this stuff? I mean, is she even, can she speak for the Great Council? Like she says, seems, yeah. You know, so that shady count up about 15 more notches. But, I, you know, my, my question was, why didn't she just do that to begin with? Why all this deception and, and this crazy story that she's going to tell? And, you know, why make things so much more difficult when she could have just played basically the card she did end up playing and go from there? And especially because of the conflict, not even so much the humans. I mean, I'm sure she's got, I guess, you know, we would call it a love for humans. We've seen her talk about it, but she's definitely got love for Sinclair. And she definitely didn't make his job any easier. And in fact, almost made it you know, super hard. Cause I thought when he showed up, I thought he was just spoiling for a fight. I actually wrote down false flag operation. I thought he had done it himself just to get a reason, just to kick off the war again and just blah, blah, blah. Anyways. Um, so I did, I really didn't understand why she, why she would just have that conversation from the jump. Nicole. Um, another thing I noticed, or I, I thought maybe could be some significance was at the very end when the guy was apologizing to Sinclair and they were discussing like you know let's look to the future let's you know do this he said to him that um, he talks like a Membari and maybe it was a good idea that they you know stopped basically from annihilating them so I guess it's more of like just an observation I made and and you know with the the whole Mumbari Sinclair connection and the whole Delenn and Sinclair dynamic, like I feel, and maybe I'm totally reading this wrong. I feel like there's an animosity, like with Narun from the beginning with Sinclair, but also at the end, I feel like maybe he realizes that maybe there's some similarities or something. Like there's something with Sinclair and the Mumbari, and I just can't pinpoint what it is, but there's some sort of common thread there. I mean, I don't know if they just respect him as a leader or, um, so, it, cause I feel like, 
like almost like it's like they either strongly dislike him or they love him like Delenn, you know? So I, I don't know. It's just an observation that I made um, that he said that to him. And I was like, hmm, you know, him saying that the dynamic with Delenn, the whole thing of like they were the ones that demanded he lead Babylon 5. But then the other guys like we have to kill him if he remembers like there's just something with him in the Membari, And it's just drive me freaking crazy. I want to know. We'll talk all about that with you, Nicole. In, in two years. In yeah. about two and a half years. Yeah. Enjoy. Oh, another random thing I wanted to point out was I love the fact that Ivanova said there's nothing more annoying than when Garibaldi is right. <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, what do you got? Yeah, one thing that I was wondering with uh, at the end of this episode was because uh, Sinclair like it, uh, like points out to Delenn that like uh, uh, how like how did you even uh or how you were even were you even able to get that body uh out of the casket and like away and like cremate it without anyone noticing and it wasn't really ever explained so i, I don't know if you would call that a plot hole or just just lazy but that, that was just something that i noticed that they never actually do touch on how she did get that body away and can you answer that can we not go beyond the rim are there no cameras closed circuit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do they not have surveillance cameras? The, the or... cameras operate at the power of plot, and therefore they were turned off. What do you want from me? Ah, uh, uh, plot armor. <laughs> yeah, and I kept waiting for someone to point out. I was like, uh, yeah, you know, it was Mimbari only who were guarding the body. So guess what? We have yeah, nothing it, it, to do with this. Thanks, Kevin. You just stole my... Sorry. <laughs> Put sorry, my hand but... down. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's had his hand up for hours. <laughs> why we have rules here it's, it's interesting to me that we seem to have the most to say about this episode <laughs> hey it's it, it's an important one for our characters not so much you know we didn't move the plot along a lot like signs and portents but our characters do a lot yeah i, I the cole kind of touched on a point that i had as well about um i think i and i wonder if sinclair's importance to the membari depends on the cast i have a feeling he's a lot more important to the religious cast than he is the military cast the religious cast wants to save him. The military cast wants to kill him. And so, or they just may not agree that maybe he's this messianic figure that maybe the religious cast does. So I think depending on, and I think that's maybe why Deloon, um didn't really like him just because he's a warrior. Whereas Delenn and others. Did I, what's his Deloon? name? What the fuck? Deloon? That's, that's not even close. Like he said Deloon. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go back. Why am I already forgetting his damn name? Naroon. 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 Thank you. Oh, like, I don't know who the fuck you were talking about. Deloon. I was like, what? I'm to Justin's that. credit, they use a lot of titles and not a lot of names in this episode. That's true. It was confusing. I, I think we're starting to get some some viewpoint on the rift that's developing between the different casts and the Mimbari, because they even said that, like, so in the in the Mimbari uh, culture. The religious cast overrules the military cast or the warrior cast. So it was the religious cast decision to end the war. And the, the warriors had no choice but to just obey. And they're not happy about it. So what's so what they're doing is, you know, they're then trying to buck back against the religious cast. And I think that's what's starting the, the big rift that's going on is over this decision to end the war. And I may have to adjust some of my predictions uh, based on some of the information gleaned this evening, but we'll see. Emily. Damn it, Justin. <laughs> that was actually what I was going to bring up is um, the separate cast. Because, <laughs> yeah, 
the religious caste was the one that abruptly stopped the war without an explanation. And so there's obviously a lot of tension there. And I was wondering if that was kind of why Dylan wasn't sure of how to navigate the situation. Um, because Narun honestly did seem like he was going to show up to start some shit. I mean, he shows up, the gun ports are open, whether or not they're empty is kind of irrelevant when you've, you know, had a war with these people and it's only been what, 10 years. And they're like their military leader is being laid in state on the Babylon station. Like that's pretty provocative. And um, yeah, it definitely comes across as trying, trying to start some shit. John? Yeah, not to beat the dead horse, because that's that's what I, that's why I mentioned the false flag earlier. Is it just seemed from the jump that this episode, and again, since I thought, oh, we're going into the season finale, this will be the spark that lights the candle that perhaps gets this second war going or or whatever. Because like Emily said, he came in just swinging, right? Oh, we're going to show guns. We're going to make all these demands. You know, Sinclair's like, oh, diplomacy is like no humans, no hu-. I mean, he was so anti-human. I mean, it was crazy. I thought, oh my God, first of all, let's not get a caricature again, but like, okay. And he had such a change of heart um, at the end. But to Justin's point as well, I hope they do dive into more of the dynamic between the religious and military castes because especially with Delenn now, essentially what I, I take from kind of being expelled from the, the religious caste, at least because she's no longer on the council, um, you know, how that's going to interplay with, again, her clear love for Sinclair and the, the, something in, is going to come up since they have, you know, said he's Neo and is, you know, needs to save the Matrix. I, I hope they delve into that further. Um, I also have a mini question that hopefully we don't have to go beyond the rim for. Uh, the Minbari version of Cones of Dunshire, what is that? What's that, what's that what Delenn is doing in her room when uh, they come in? Oh, yeah. I was like, what the fuck are you talking I, about? I, I wrote it down as she was playing with magnetiles. <laughs> when I was doing the commentary on YouTube, everyone was saying it was a Minbari Lego set. So, yeah. well, What is it? Do I mean, can you sell it? What, like, say what it is? Do they it's a Minbari enjoy- Lego set. We can answer that beyond the rim, John. This show. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, I did think one of the uh, last things I'll bring up real quick. Uh, it was interesting. They talked about how do you honor your foes, right? How do you honor someone that you've been to war with? Um, I mean, we've dealt with that in this country on any number of occasions. Pick any you know war conflict America's been in, and you know how many times do we say oops, or how many times do we say oh let's be friends now, or let's forget our past, let's remember our past. Um, so it it was interesting that there. Again, that's why I thought it was a provocation was, oh, by the way, here was this great general that we really loved. And by Sinclair's accounts, I guess, really kind of kicked some earth ass. He's dead, but don't forget here, you know, let's just rub it in your face. Don't forget, he's awesome. Here he is. Like, uh, it's it's an interesting question about other species. I I can't like, I can't imagine the Narn um, honoring or uh, showing anything for their foes like this but that's something that you can that that you see in earth culture though i mean how many remembrance ceremonies have we had with the german people and how many we've even done it with the vietnamese people we've had like joint remembrance ceremonies where both sides can come together so i think i can kind of see where sinclair was coming with that kevin one of the things that occurred to me while i was watching the episode was the thing that they didn't mention was a 21 gun salute which i know is usually done at a funeral typically but that could be seen as 
provocative if you don't know the context. Another couple of random thoughts I have. One of the other guest stars in this episode that we probably paid zero attention to is Patrick Thomas O'Brien, who uh, has been in a couple of things that I've seen, and he can be really hilarious, but he's he was the cart owner on uh, um, in the Zocalo area. But he was Satan in UHF, and it's just it's a shame that his his acting ability was wasted in this episode because he can be really funny. John, uh, yeah, I, it was interesting. I don't did did they mention before that it was uh, Ducat's death or murder, depending on which side you are, was the jumping off point for the war? Is this- we. We've heard about Ducat before, but I think this is the most detail you've gotten about the situation. And that it was, I mean, it was his death, again, however it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that I can recollect. But yeah, I, I know we've heard Ducat's name mentioned, but I think it was just in passing. So this is the first detail you've gotten. Gotcha. Am I right, anybody else? I think so. This? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, there's a lot of you know, shade being thrown at Delenn right now. I'm going to back her up a little bit. I thought she was playing the perfect ambassador through all of this, where she was working to appease both sides without giving any kind of ground. Now, of course, the stealing of the body thing, I'm ignoring that part because she was the catalyst. But like the scene where she's with Nehrun and Sinclair in his office, she first goes after Sinclair and then immediately turns on Nehrun and goes after him, basically showing that both of you have issues here. Both of you need to recognize that those issues exist. And she's playing both sides really, really well. I thought the performance by Mira Furlon, as well as Delenn's character, was really good in this episode. I enjoyed it a lot, um, regardless of if she, you know, stole a body or not. Well, I thought she was kind of protecting her own ass a little bit, though. I mean, to more to Blake's point, because I also took that same thing. We've seen her be expelled from the Great Council, so... I'll save them. Did we? I, right. I have a question. She's not been expelled from the Great Council. That's right. You guys keep asking that, and I don't, I never saw that actually. Turned down the leadership role. She is still a member of the Great Council. She, there's right. people pissed at her. Almost. Absolutely. He but said, she turned down leadership. You're out. Mm-mm. He didn't mm-hmm. say that. may not be welcome back, I believe is what the actual line was. You yeah. may. You not may not be welcome back. back. Yeah. That seems like a polite way of saying you're gone. Could be, but we have not been told yeah. at all that okay. she's not a member of the Grey Council. Notice. And that was my biggest point of confusion was, is she still in the Grey Council and can she still use that as leverage against him like she did? Or is this going to come back at her somehow because she's kind of maybe not? The other question I would ask in that one too, Emily, that we have not got an answer to is who knows who's in the Grey Council? We know they fly around on their super secret ship. So maybe people don't know if she's on or off or in uh, hiatus from the Grey Council at all. So I think to Kevin's point earlier, I think it was Kevin, even or maybe it was Blake, one of the two, even if she may not be on the Grey Council, which again, we don't know that, she can still pretend she is until people find out. Yeah, and I wasn't sure if he would be of high enough rank he would be able to have that information since we're not really clear on how divided the structure is and like do the higher ranking in the warrior cast even know who's in the great council to know who to like essentially defer to or is there just one spokesperson or do they just like send a message like hey this is from the great council and no one ever sees anybody like the only are they, they that reclusive 
Sorry. The only thing we know for sure is on the Grey Council, there are three of each cast. That's really it. We don't know who reports to who, who knows whom. We just know that there's three from each cast because there's nine of them. Well, but he knew enough to ask, right? He asked, is this coming from the Grey Council? So, yeah, he, yeah, that's, that's true. So he did know that she is or was a part of it. Yeah. I'm not even hedging my bets here, guys. This isn't a spoiler or anything. Right now, where we are in the story, she's a member of the Grey Council. Yeah. Anybody else got anything? Not about about this, or can we move on? Please. Okay. The sexual tension <laughs> between Marva oh, and are, Talia. Are, are we prepared to talk about uh, 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 Dr. Franklin stroking that girl's, that unconscious girl's hair in the infirmary? <laughs> I'm always worried. I mean, if I woke up from getting my wisdom teeth pulled and my dentist was standing over me touching my head, I would have questions. <laughs> God, I yeah. don't know where to follow that. And I honestly, my only thought about this episode with regard to Franklin was I thought it was a pretty good episode. It, it seemed like he was pretty protective of her and tried to be, um, you know, ev- even about everything, but I didn't really catch on to what you're talking about, Mike. So maybe that is a little bit creepy. I mean, he has tried to date his daughters of patients before. So we've, we've questioned Dr. Franklin's ethics before. <laughs> John, would you like to question Dr. Franklin's ethics again? No, I think they're pretty well established, as are my thoughts on The Good Doctor at the moment. Uh, perhaps he'll have an Ivanova-like reclamation as seasons move on. I don't know. Uh, real quick before I dive into that, though, another question maybe can answer. Uh, if just for a flash, her mom died of the plague. Is that something they'll talk about? There, was there some great plague on Earth? Is that just a throwaway, probably? Universe building? Much like San Diego got nuked, <laughs> stuff has happened. Throw away. They have those, you know, compendiums. I don't know if it was like, oh, there was a great plague of twenty-two forty-five. I don't know. Anyways, yeah. COVID forty-two. <laughs> wow. Every time we hear plague from anything that's like you know before twenty twenty, it's gonna sound a little different to all of us than what it did before. So I enjoyed this because again I have a million questions about the telepaths because you know I just feel like when you introduce something like that when someone can read someone else's mind and that they've established that every other species besides the Narn can do it, it's super interesting. Um, first of all, yet again, big ups to the nineties fashion when she was like, oh I like this shirt, yeah I have, you can get plenty more. I was like, oh man classic pull love it lots of colors um but again i've I've picked up the a x-men parallel right her x gene activated in puberty i thought that was cool um i also really like the fact that she does have because i i guess i always kind of took it if you were a human and you had telepathic powers psycho just owns your ass and the fact that ivanova was quick to be like no 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 you have options you can you know go to psychor you can go join one of these other species you can do whatever but then I got to thinking, okay, so because it can, um, you know, develop later or show later in life, again, I wonder, I asked earlier about rogue telepaths, where are all the hidden telepaths that, you know, if I'm, I don't know, 25 or in Ivanova's mom's case, what you say, 35 and telepathy just shows itself, but I'm not on planet or in, on a settlement. Can I just go the rest of my life? maybe without being discovered? And if so, like, are there telepaths just out there right now? How have the Narn not kidnapped or ransomed somebody, a telepath, and and forced them into servitude by now? Good question. <laughs> Thanks. To his point, uh, didn't they say that Ivanova's mom made it to 35 yeah. before she was detected? Mm-hmm. Was it, so just to clarify, so was it she made it to 35 or it 
showed itself at 35. Made it. So she had had it for who knows how long and was able to just hide yeah, it. That, I feel like that was the implication. Yeah. Yes. Um, one of my favorite parts of this episode was the discussion between Sinclair and uh, Ivanova. And, you know, it, it ends with, you know, do what you think is right. I'll back your play. And I, I really, you know, that kind of got me a little bit because I thought that was showing her a lot of trust. Um, and I thought it was a good moment. The other thing I wanted to say about this is, uh, you know, what does it say about, you know, their society that if Elisa Belden hadn't developed telepathic abilities, she probably would have died or, you know, just wallowed down in the down below area um, for a heck of a lot longer at a minimum. It just seems such a, such a horrible situation in that down below that, that, I feel like could have easily been, you know, glossed over with this episode. I just wanted to highlight that. I'm sure she'll be fine. She has a future in acting waiting for her. She'll be fine. Harsh. Harsh. <laughs> uh, I will say, uh, because I've said so many negative things, uh, I will echo Kevin's comment. Um, I did write down Ivanova being more open and vulnerable. Uh, was far better of a character development, far more relatable than the kind of wooden caricature we got at the beginning of the season. Um, so I, I did enjoy that conversation as well as the conversation for the third option with the Minbari when, um, you know, listening it into 2020 years, which she described as probably would be called socialism, where if, you know, if you have a gift to give society, that's what you should focus on and, you know, bring more good things to society and we'll take care of basic human living needs, um, I thought was interesting and also uh, glad that that's the choice she made, right? She could have essentially sold herself to the Narns. She could have been, you know, the bad guys in the cycle, perhaps, um, or she could be revered and um, join another civilization that values her and takes care of her. So she doesn't have to steal, even though she practiced to stay good with Ivanova's communicator. I, I did have a question on that, but I guess I'll save it for our questions because I don't know that it's something it can be answered, but it made me think about interspecies telepathy. I thought for sure you were going to say interspecies erotica. I really thought you were. Almost. Almost. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Emily, It would have been go. more on brand. <laughs> Emily, please go. Um, so kind of what John said about letting this young woman make a decision and she chose to go with the Minbari. I mean, we all know I love Dylan and she's like my favorite, but I didn't really trust how she was selling it like she made it seem as though this she'd be using her skills for something positive and there was something about the way it was delivered that i'm just not really buying it like i feel there's um some subtext there that we might not fully know yet um since we've seen that some of the decisions made in the council are based on prophecy. So it kind of made me wonder if this young woman's telepathic abilities, if they would try to use it for that in some way. So yeah, I, there was something about the way she kind of sold coming to sold, you know, working for the Minbari that just didn't feel quite right. Anybody else? Honestly, the Minbari take on it kind of made me feel like she still didn't really have any choice in the matter. It was like, being telepathic is viewed as a calling so that's what you're gonna do <laughs> i mean so jms did address with uh the membari and within membari society that service is kind of the greatest thing you know that is the 
noblest thing you can do is to use your talents and gifts to be of service. So really for them, you know, a Mimbari telepath, you know, being of service to society and offering their gifts, I mean, that's just how it would be. There's no alternate thinking there. There's no, you know, thing within that society that says it would occur to them that someone would not use their gifts for the greater good. That's just how that society is built. We've kind of seen that even within, you know, some of the other plots that have involved Mimbari in these episodes where they're doing something that is their calling, that is what they want, that is their role to play, their gift to offer, and they offer it freely within their society. And I guess my question is kind of then when, if it's for the greater good or to serve the Minbari society, what does that really mean? Because it sounds really nice on the surface, but it can also be used as a manipulation tactic. The greater good, the exactly. greater good. Being creepy there, dude. Hey, Hot Fuzz was a good movie. Thank you. Somebody got it. As soon as you said the greater good, I had to do that. Um, so one last, I guess, little piece on this too, at, at the end, you know, Sinclair's apology, I'm, again, I hope little Easter eggs and it comes back. You know, he gets asked, he was like, are you sure as the commander of the station, basically, do you want to from Earth Alliance apologize or basically, you know, I don't know, um, go against Earth Alliance with this, which I thought was interesting with Sinclair already, not the most popular guy, clearly, as we've talked about before. And he's like, yep. I'm good with it. So I'm going to do it. Um, and then the very last thing, don't think, since we already talked about it a little bit, I didn't notice that Ivanova's hair being down right before that drink request from Talia. Yeah, I caught it. I synced it. Anybody else have anything they want to add before questions, predictions? I'm shipping that. I'm just saying. I would be a Patreon to watch and ship that, Nicole. I'm just saying. That's not a tear. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we'll go. God damn it! We'll go ahead and go into questions and predictions, where we hear from our newbies one last time about any lingering questions they have. Of course, John's already shot out about twenty of them, as well as any predictions they have. And again, this is our penultimate episode of season one, so we are coming up to the season finale next week. Emily, we'll go to you first. Questions and predictions. Um, really, my only prediction is that I don't feel like we've seen the last of Narun yet. I feel like because of his position in the military, I feel like he's going to come back at some point. That it? Yep, that's all I got. Cool. Jesse, question predictions? Uh, I don't know. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> John, questions, predictions. But before you do that, I meant to do this earlier. You've mentioned X-Men a couple times. I have no doubt that JMS, uh, not that he's stealing from the X-Men, but he grew up on comics and to a point where... He, you know, lived and breathed comics for a long time. Not that he ever wrote X-Men, but he did write some seminal stuff for Spider-Man and for Thor and for Superman. So he definitely knows his comic world. But yeah, I was going to say that earlier. It's a nice homage. I enjoy mm -hmm. it. Not that, I mean, not that that specific idea of being an outcast is singular. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, as usual, I have a bunch of questions. <laughs> uh, some of them are maybe beyond the rim. Some of them are probably just ridiculousness. Like here's one. So that mind burst. So that just happens and other telepaths can just hear it. And if that's the case, what happened, what had had, or what would happen if no other telepath was around? Like what if that girl had had it, you know, off station or whatever? If the tree falls in the woods, does it make a sound if nobody's there? She was debilitated. Would she have died? Would she have... I mean, I, you know, okay. It, it, I, I, it, it seems like it happens a lot enough to where Talia knows when it happens. So, I mean, it seems like it's something that is not unusual. So, mm. okay. 
Um, follow-up question. We mentioned a little bit. I'm curious, I guess now, because my assumption sounds like it was wrong about Delenn's status with the Membari and with the Grey Council specifically, because I took it as she was out. It sounds like she might not be out. Um, so is she out? Can I get some more clarification about where she is and how that impacts her being the ambassador? Because if the religious faction is the dominant one and they put her in place and she said that, if she's basically expelled from that faction, can she really speak with authority as the ambassador? I'll absolutely not answer the second part, but the first part is she is on the Grey Council. I feel like we need to move on from this, Jonathan. Ninja business, Jessica. Okay. Um, <laughs> 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 so I already asked about the, the potentially roaming older telepaths or the hidden telepaths. Um, but, but, but where am I? Sorry. Oh, uh, no, I think I already asked that one. Oh, um, can you legally pump someone's stomach on Babylon five? Are there no, are there warrants on Babylon five? <laughs> I, I don't know, but they pumped every Pacmara stomach. And by yeah. the way, we didn't talk about the Pacmara at all. But you gotta love the set dressing. Go back and watch that scene with the Pacmara. There are bones everywhere. There's flesh hanging from the ceiling. The set dressers must have loved that day of production. It was nasty. <laughs> I love that scene. What were they saying? I wrote in my notes too. Stomach pumping? Is that an illegal search? <laughs> the Pacmara have no rights. <laughs> <laughs> They ate lots of stuff, just not Mimbari. But now you all get my joke when I said there was a Pacmaran TKO watching the fight, just waiting to pick up the pieces when it's all said and done. <laughs> well, and we did learn that Narn tastes like chicken. Who doesn't? Who doesn't taste like chicken? Hey, Jeffrey Donner, what the fuck? Okay. <laughs> we didn't have any questions. Well, I, mean, oh, I have comments, Mother Ever. I just don't have a question. True. Uh, my last question before the prediction. Uh, so this is what I was going to get to. How um, common would interspecies telepaths be? Because I can't imagine that at the very least Earth Alliance would see that clearly as an opportunity to put in spies. I would immediately have human telepaths try to infiltrate the other species to do deep reconnaissance. So how is that not a thing? The Narn really wanted to be a thing, not the spy part, but they really want interspecies telepaths. <laughs> they really do. Well, they can, they want the interspecies erotica to get to the interspecies telepath. But what I mean more is like a member of a species being, you know, it seemed like she was invited into Membari. And I wonder how much, what she's actually going to be able to do with that. Again, I would be very leery of certain species telepaths being, you know, in my culture. So uh, it sounds like either you won't answer that to be on the rim answer or it's not. I'm just questioning if you have an issue with people of mixed descent and if that's a problem with you. Yeah. First of all, how do not try to cancel me on this? Close <laughs> <laughs> to what I said. What I was talking about was espionage. Asshole. <laughs> okay. You know, I don't have any. Let me go ahead right here. The Upchuckle Nugget has zero problems with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Question was, I'm surprised. Again, with the whole telepath. I've said this multiple times. Like the telepath. I just, especially seeing how crazy potentially bad Earth Alliance is. How are they not? just utilizing all of these horrible advantages that they could have. But it doesn't seem like... Well, gonna... John, John I, will, I remember you saying a long time ago, maybe even the first episode. No, you weren't on the first episode, so it wasn't that one. But I remember you saying, I sure hope we get more telepath episodes. You're getting more telepath episodes. You're just getting spoon-fed slowly. <laughs> the telepath episodes. <laughs> you can see my waistline. I don't like being spoon-fed anything slowly. But I... <laughs> 
I do have a question based off of what John said. Oh, good. What? So is that how everybody got telepaths mixing with humans or did like, are they native to each? Like did the Narns originally have telepaths also? The only, the, the only thing we know canonically not is that Narns don't have them. Okay. So that's, I mean, like did the Minbari originally have them and, because they mixed with the human race or did they just have them? That's a good question. Andrew, I think you're up for uh, questions and predictions. Wait, 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 I want to make my prediction. Sorry. My oh, sorry. Prediction. Well, Jesse kind of jumped. No. So my prediction is twofold. I agree with Emily's prediction because I would be surprised if one of Scott's favorite characters was one episode. Um, but that leads into my prediction that uh, we will either get into or the catalyst for future Sinclair is the second war between the Mimbaris and the humans. And that that guy will play a pretty pivotal role in that. He did and have a scar on his cheek. The lens shadiness will also be a catalyst for that. So now Andrew can go, or I will talk over him as soon as he starts speaking. That's usually how it goes. <laughs> yeah, so I just had a one question. Uh, well, first of all, I'm surprised it didn't get brought up more that uh, that stink, because I think we all know now that the, uh, uh, the, the, the season finale is Chrysalis, and then they name drop it in at least in the hbo max order uh it's the second to last episode uh but so my question is uh what does chrysalis mean uh because uh because i because that's all uh elisa said that she was able to pick up before she was blocked off so like like to me that kind of sounds like a like a covert operate like an operation chrysalis so but uh, that's just my interpretation but yeah so, so my question is what does chrysalis mean i know this is a huge spoiler but the next episode is called Chrysalis, so you're not going to have well, to wait well, long. I, well, well, yes. well, as I said, like, I, like it's, <laughs> I, I know we're going to get the answer next episode, but... And if not, that's I a mean... really big cock tease from JMS. <laughs> 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 Call it Chrysalis and don't answer the question. Didn't Sinclair say it means cocoon? To, in his knowledge, because well, yes, but... if you open an encyclopedia, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, what do you got? Really, the only thing that I have in terms of any kind of like predictions, um, I think John already touched on it a little bit and Emily did as well. But the growing rift um, in the Mimbari between the warrior and the religious castes, um, kind of seeing how it's kind of developed and how it's kind of growing. I am also of the opinion. Um, I know I've I've talked about some kind of brewing conflict or war or something like that coming up and we got a little bit of a taste of it already um and i think maybe i i, I would agree i think this is probably the catalyst for maybe that said war and maybe uh, some kind of mimbari civil war that ends up dragging the earth alliance and dragging babylon 5 in with it so 10-4 good buddy and nicole questions and predictions well andrew kind of asked what i was gonna say was what this what's the significance of chrysalis i know we're probably gonna find out next week but i want to know now damn it um i'm impatient um and then i would say really my only prediction is is kind of i don't really trust that the conflict is over with the mambari i think that even though they had a good discussion at the end of it and they have like an understanding with the growing tensions is pretty much what everyone else said the growing tensions between the case and stuff i just i don't know i feel like something bad is going to happen um i just don't know what i don't know if if that's going to be the crux of the big war or if it's going to be something else but i just know something bad's coming the, the rob williams sketch i don't know how i don't know when i don't know why but something <laughs> bad's gonna happen not intentionally but that's great maybe that boom today 
always boom tomorrow. Now that all of our newbies have given their questions, predictions, we'll go ahead and, and shove them out the airlock so we can answer those in Beyond the Rim. So if you are watching for the first time along with our newbies, this is where you will make your exit as well. And if you have either watched the show already or just don't care about spoilers, stick around after the credits and we will go ahead and start answering all these questions and predictions. Until next time, I, when we talk about the season finale... Chrysalis, I am Scott, and with me as always has been Emily, Jesse, the one and only Up Chuckle Nugget, Mike, Nicole, Kevin, Blake, Justin, and Andrew. He doesn't cool anything. Chrysalis. <laughs> Sounds like Chrysalis, so, the uh, boner pill. Boner <laughs> pill. And what? film boy. Chrysalis, come on, Nicole. Oh, yes, number one fan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim again. A final warning if you do not want to be spoiled for what happens after Legacy. This is where you should exit now. If not, we'll go ahead and dive into the questions and predictions. And first up, we got John. So John had several, as he is known to do. So we'll just kind of break through these guys. What is it that Delenn is building at the end of the episode with her Jenga set? Oh, they can just wait a week. (laughs) She's she's building what will cause chrysalis. How's that? (laughs) Is it actually that, or is it just generic sci-fi BS? No, that's actually the that's okay. actually the unit. It's the chrysalis device or whatever, which was yeah. built on Epsilon three, and it will be used again after she uses it by Jeffrey Sinclair when he goes back in the past. Because some of the items that Zathras brings to Babylon four with him is the triluminary. And the chrysalis machine. But you know how timelines work; it'll actually be used before she. Yes. It's a time loop, which goes back to our conversation last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was. Uh, let's see. Was Delin expelled from the Great Council? We already answered that. No. Not yet. I'm, I'm, yeah, not yet. I'm walking a fine line there, yeah, but no, not yet. <laughs> if she is out, will that affect her position as ambassador? No. No, not really. No, because they don't care about B5. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. You can have that shit outpost. Have fun. Will she still have the authority to speak as an ambassador if she is out? Yes. And she will. Is the plague on Earth important to the plot? No. No, but it will be in Crusade. <laughs> different plague. Different, different plague, yeah. <laughs> have the Narn 
not kidnap telepaths yet, not I, to our knowledge. Well, I'll say, and and I'll say that is kind of a plot hole for me um, in the show. They we've seen a couple times now where the Narn have tried to financially entice someone to be a telepath to provide them with genetic material. We know for a fact there's an underground railroad. There are other rogue telepaths out there in the galaxy. The fact that they have been so inept in their ability to actually get someone to agree to financial, you know, benefit to offer genetic material just seems like a giant hole at this point. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, and frankly, that they wouldn't just kidnap somebody and be done with it, screw and trying to entice them. We've seen the Narn are pretty capable of doing whatever they yeah. want to do. So mm-hmm. even well, if Jakar's I mean, not the Narn are, yeah. And yeah. we'll know that the Centauri have telepaths. So, you know, why they haven't managed to capture a Centauri telepath or something. Uh, how common is an interspecies telepath connection? We don't know of any, right? Mm. Like throughout the show, we don't know of any. It's just not, I mean, it just never is a thing. Yeah, no. I mean, they, kinda, you can scan another species. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting like sci-fi point. I don't know if they've ever, ever addressed it in the show, but, you know, whatever quasi-science whatever they used to explain telepathy there there really is no reason to believe that it would work between two different races yeah even delenn says our minds work differently so yeah i mean the fact that she saw darkness in natoth's mind is could mean nothing more than a bad connection (laughs) bad wi-fi between her and Natoth. yeah (laughs) and keep in mind what we'll learn through this too though i mean it's telepaths who are able to stop the shadows so clearly there's some established nature across species that telepaths can scan or even impact species that are not their own yeah and that was jesse's question so we can just knock that one out right now how did each race get the telepaths the vorlons created the telepaths Mm -hmm. we don't actually hear about when they created earth telepaths but there's in the side novels i think it was almost now it was like the late 20 to the late 2000s or maybe the early 2100s is when the vorlons start messing with dna to make telepaths and they I did thought, the same thing with the Narns and the Membari and all that. I thought that actually got mentioned in an episode. If it did, I don't remember. I just remember from the side. But it really could have been. It could have been dropped in somewhere. But we absolutely know for a fact that the Vorlons did make the telepaths because they use them as cannon fodder against the shadows. Yeah, which is interesting because I guess whatever the mechanism is that allows telepathy, maybe the Vorlons, you know, set it up so that it does use a common mechanism across species. Could be. At least a common mechanism to screw up shadows. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mind burst. Other telepaths can hear it. Um, not hear it, but we will see in later episodes, uh, they can see it happening. Like when we go back to Psychor with Bester and his creepy relationship with his student, which we will talk about when we get to that episode, uh, you see the two telepaths basically blasting each other because they can. other telepaths can watch it happen. I forgot what episode that was, but it definitely happens. Okay. <laughs> Uh, two of them predicted that Nerun will be back, and thankfully, yes, he will be. We will be graced with John Vickery's acting capabilities again yeah, times. I, I kind of telegraphed that, but I mean... That's okay. How, how can you not say the dude is a good actor? Because he is. Right. And uh, he needs to answer my phone calls. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. He comes, and that actor comes... Uh, Vickery comes back as a different character at some point, too, does he not? Yes. Yeah, he's a human in another episode. Mm-hmm. A shitty one, but... <laughs> I, 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 I love a lot of the arcs that our side characters go on. I've mentioned Talon and a few others, but Naroon's arc, as he moves from this to member of the Great Council to ally of Delenn, is really a, a great arc mm-hmm. that he goes on. 
there will be another war between the Minbari and the humans. Uh, no, not so much. But there was going to be in the original plan, but we'll talk about that on a bonus episode. Uh, Justin asked, the growing rift between the religious caste and the warrior caste, will it lead to a civil war? Is that a coming war? Mm, no, won't be a civil war. Be close cause, to one. Right. It will cause the break um mm-hmm. in the in the great council later on yeah. or at least lead directly to it but it's and not going to lead to a, an open civil war no you're right you're right but the warrior cast definitely does a power grab that's for damn sure oh yeah for sure what does chrysalis mean yeah we are cocoon <laughs> literally cocoon sinclair um, was not wrong <laughs> nicole said i don't trust the conflict is over with the minbari that isn't the last of it I think individual Mimbari, she's completely right. I think the warrior cast has a bone up their butt and a bone on their head about <laughs> the whole issue. I mean, Nehrun will say later, if I knew why we surrendered, we would never have surrendered. Right. So I think there's absolutely there. To laugh or cry. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but I think, the, as I said, the one thing I think we all should have been here is I think all th- three of the four of us came pretty close to spoiling something. Yeah. And this, yeah. Because we all messaged each other with the gun ports. Yeah. It's like, well, damn it, we cannot talk about it in the beginning yet. Yeah, we 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 almost gave away the gun ports. I I came the closest. Oopsie, but then also Blake, you mentioned to us on the side chat. Don't talk about Sinclair talking line. like a Mimbari. Yeah. <laughs> but also, regardless of the Valen stuff, this actually shows me why Sinclair is going to be a good ambassador and ranger one to the Membari mm-hmm. because he can make those connections with them even through all of what's gone on. Yeah. You see that with Nehrun at the end. That's kind of like a a foreshadowing of how Sinclair is going to be able to use his, his abilities of personality to make his new position work when he gets those new positions. Emily's question, is there a subtext to Elisa going with the Membari? Nope. No, but can they keep her? <laughs> Ouch. I'm sorry. She, I'm, I'm playing with Ryan on Yum Yum. You have a really good guest actor in John Vickery, and you have a really terrible guest actor in uh, Grace Una. Uh, she just was bad. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, does it really mean the telepaths serve the greater good? Uh, kinda. <laughs> They're meant to fight the shadows, so I would mm-hmm. say yes, actually, they do. But it doesn't seem like when that comes up later in, I think it was season three, that the Minbari knew how important the telepaths were. That was Sheridan that made that connection with it wasn't Garibaldi. Even yeah, it was Garibaldi who made yeah, the connection. Garibaldi. All right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reading the book of Jaquan. And, and thumped the book. Do not thump the book, Jaquan. But yeah, I think it was so far in the past. I mean, you're talking a thousand years. It's even these long-lasting civilizations like the Membari and the Centauri, you're going to lose stuff in translation. So, yeah, I don't think they are aware. Cool. I think we answered them all, guys. Anything else you want to talk about with this episode in terms of spoilers? I think the newbies hit on most of it. Yeah, I think that covers it. Yeah. Cool. I, I still I still think that the this episode, the more I see it, the more I think it's kind of flawed as far as the plot goes but it it, overall it's still a good episode it's an enjoyable episode yeah i think john kind of hit on it when he was saying you know this is the penultimate episode and you think it would be a catalyst for what comes next and we're used to that too in a lot of streaming shows now that are less episodes like i think a game the game of thrones you always knew that the episode before the last episode of the season was going to be a throwdown knockdown episode to kind of lead up into the season finale and you kind of expect that, and this is not that. Even if it was aired out of order, it's still not mm-hmm. that. 
But Chrysalis is going to be fun. Some shit goes down. Watch back, Garibaldi. Yeah. Well, that'll be a fun one. All right. Until next week when we talk about the season finale, Chrysalis, I'm Scott, and with me has been... Blake. Mike. And Kevin. And we will see you next week. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review. Please, please, please. And we'll chat with you soon. Oh, and also, don't forget to click on the notify button on our YouTube account because after next week's episode, we will be re- releasing our season one recap. So two weeks from today, you'll get the season one recap in your audio podcast. But if you want to watch it live, it'll come out December 11th. We'll be live on YouTube for the season one recap. Thanks. You talk like a Minbari, Commander. Perhaps there was some small wisdom in letting all species survive. We like to think so.